0: From Toronto, Canada, The
1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren, And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Great to be with you. World-renowned filmmaker, ufologist James Fox is standing by, along with our good friend Victor Vigiani from ZLAN News Network. James has a brand new documentary out called The Phenomenon, and we'll delve into that in just moments. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer, and Ryan White is my live stream producer. And yes, we're live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. If you've joined us on the live stream and it's your first time, Please uh, just hit that red sub button. We we have 22,000 subscribers. Please help us to get to 25,000. All right. Director James Fox's explosive documentary, The Phenomenon, is being hailed as the most credible and revealing film ever made about the longstanding global cover-up and mystery involving unidentified aerial phenomenon, including shocking never-before-seen testimony From high-ranking government and military officials, NASA astronauts, and riveting footage, the timely film includes bombshell reveals about UAP incursions at nuclear weapon facilities and the monumental events behind the New York Times' recent disclosure of UFO videos and the Pentagon's classified UFO program, providing eye-opening evidence that mankind is not alone in the universe. Senator Harry Reid says... The phenomenon makes the incredible credible. James Fox began his journalism career in in life as an assistant to his father, writer Charles Fox, a quadriplegic with multiple sclerosis. Together, they traveled on many magazine assignments, interviewing such notables as Stephen Hawking and race car legend Dan Gurney for the likes of Rolling Stone, Car and Driver, to Sports Illustrated. James finished and sold his first documentary to Discovery by the time he was 28. He's since completed and distributed TV projects for Sci Fi, TLC, National Geographic, and the History Channel. His films include Out of the Blue, I Know What I Saw, and his latest, The Phenomenon. Welcome, James Fox. How are you?
0: That was a mouthful. I got to meet this guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you just keep building that resume. It's a pleasure to have you on. Let me just welcome. My special co-host and good friend, Victor Vigiani, is the Executive Director of z Communications and z News Network. He's a retired school principal from Toronto. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology and Psychology from York University and a Master's in Educational Administration and Curriculum Development from Brock University. Victor's research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans well over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings, report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism in the field of ETI disclosure issues. Victor, welcome to you. How are you, my friend?
2: Just fine, and great to be with you both.
1: I finished watching the documentary this afternoon. And it looks like you started filming, or at least some of the interviews were done before 2017, and we'll get into the New York Times article. So when you set out to make this, and I don't know about the exact timing, I'm assuming you started before 2017, based on some of the footage, did you have any idea where this was heading in terms of the the monumental disclosure that, that came about in December 2017?
0: Absolutely none. We were four and a half years in when that story broke on the front page of the New York Times. It's funny, actually, because I actually made three previous films. i say three and a half because we did a couple of versions of Out of the Blue. And kind of coincidentally, you know, it takes me so long to make a movie, usually four to six years. Something inevitably happens, breaks news, UFO sighting, a case. Maybe there's an effort for government transparency. Something usually happens. And it had for the last, three films I'd made, and I was talking to some of my co-producers, and they said, well, how are you going to end this movie? I said, well, I don't know. You know, probably there's going to be a a sighting that happens, and maybe we'll go and capture, you know, the witnesses, and we'll see, you know. And uh, I knew something would happen, but I had no idea that there was going to be a secret UFO Pentagon program revealed on the front page of the New York Times.
1: The film begins, he's near the very beginning anyway, there's a kind of a teaser from Christopher Mellon, who is the former Assistant Deputy Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, with uh, quite a revealing quote. Tell us a little bit about how you got Christopher Mellon on board and what he has to say.
0: I was probably three to four years into the film when Lee Spiegel uh, got on board. Uh, He wrote for the Huffington Post, I think he was one of the very few journalists paid to write about aerial phenomena. And he came on board, and he brought Jacques Vallée on board. And Jacques got, Jacques is sort of the intellectual heavyweight on the topic of UFOs. His character was portrayed in Close Encounters of the Third Kind by Francois Truffaut. And Jacques, about a year and a half in, said, you know, we might want to consider approaching Christopher Mellon. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I don't know if Christopher Mellon is going to respond to my request, but he might respond to yours. So, of course, Jacques reached out to him, and uh, Christopher Mellon literally said, when Jacques has jump, I respond, how high?
1: What's interesting is the level in terms of the higher-ups and qualified people that are coming forward now. When you have a former assistant deputy secretary for defense intelligence coming forward and speaking openly about this that really indicates that the needle is being pushed forward wouldn't you say
0: well here's the thing that i've noticed with this production and and by the way it took a village victor has been quietly working behind the scenes for victor how long have you been helping me out sending me information clips over a decade oh easily yes for sure yeah he's been wonderful it's like you know i'm like he sends me this treasure trove of stuff I'm like victor where did you find this but, it, but, but honestly, it's taken, it's taken a village, and, and what I've noticed with the phenomenon for the first time, and, it, and I'll remind your audience that this is my fourth film on the topic, I've been doing this for 26 years, is that I've never seen the level of interest not, with mainstream household names to watch the film, but not only that, publicly endorse it. And that I have not seen before at this level. So it's very exciting what's happening right now.
1: How do folks screen The Phenomenon, James?
0: Well, there's a number of sites. We list them on our website. If you go to www.thephenomenonfilm.com, thephenomenonfilm.com, if you buy it, make sure you buy it from iTunes or Vimeo because it comes with three hours of bonus material for no extra cost. And, of course, if you rent it, then rent it from wherever.
1: Before I turn it over to Victor for a question, just give people a kind of a sense of how this is structured, because, I mean, you do talk about the New York Times article that came out in December 2017, but you also give us kind of a crash course in the suppression of the UFO reality. Just explain a little bit.
0: Well, we were in the studio and we had this mantra and our mantra was every day in the edit studio for the better part of four years, we would say, where are we going? And our response was, Road to Rua. And what we meant by that, we are going to end the film with a what many consider the most compelling close encounter of the third kind in modern world history. And that is a landing case that happened in Rua, Zimbabwe, at a school called Ariel School in 1994, where roughly 100 schoolchildren, 66 of which went on camera, uh, claimed to have seen a landed object, disc-shaped, uh, some claimed multiple objects, and uh, occupants getting out and interacting with the children telepathically. So I knew that nowhere in their right mind was going to believe this incident happened if we were successful in sort of transcending the UFO community. Because I myself, when I first heard about it, actually funny enough, through Steven Spielberg back in 1997, when I was just naive enough at the time to think I can get a, uh, in an interview with with Steven Spielberg. And uh, in 1997, he responded through our mutual friend, Janet, hey, uh, I'm not going to let James interview me, but he should know about this landing case that happened in Africa. And that's the first time I heard of it. And I just quickly dismissed it because I said to myself, there's no way that a broad daylight encounter with the sheer volume of eyewitness testimony could occur and not the the whole world have heard about it. And so I knew what we were up against if I was going to feel that way. So I had to do a fairly significant snapshot of history to build our case as to the likelihood of, of the event in RUA having taken place. And I think we succeeded.
1: Oh, yes, I'll say. And as we'll discuss uh, later, you, you brought all of those witnesses together again, or some of them anyway, about 20 years later. And uh, people can look forward to that in the film. Uh, let me uh, turn it over to my colleague, Victor Vigiani, for a question. Victor?
2: Yeah, you know, actually, James, you know, it's, it's really kind of funny. You you mentioned what you just said about, about Spielberg. You sort of made a, make a point in the whole thing. You outline this huge historical chronology from the beginning till about almost seven or eight ten fifteen minutes into the last part of the program and you laid down the what i call sort of a hansel and gretel kind of chronology of all of the evidence you put forward and then you hit the audience with the aerial school thing did you sort of set all that up so that people would say oh my goodness this aerial thing is kind of the Mont of everything no one's gonna believe this unless they kind of deal with all of the issues that you raise." both historically and currently, and then lead right into the aerial school for that part of the film.
0: I knew because of my personal reaction to it, and we cover another landing case that happened at a school in Westall, Australia, in 1966. And when I first heard about that case, with there were well over 200 witnesses, again in broad daylight, at a school roughly 10 o'clock in the morning during recess, I just found it hard to imagine how an incident of that nature with so many witnesses in broad daylight could, could occur and the whole world not know about it. So I kind of knew what we were up against, and I kind of knew, not like I'm trying to go around prophesying, getting people to join my cult of believers, because that's not what this is about, but I really wanted to kind of give a snapshot history that, uh, you know, these things are real, they're, they're intelligently controlled, and, uh, and it's a global phenomenon, and, and they are landing and there are credible reports of witnesses uh you know reporting these these beings associated with the craft
1: James Fox is with us along with Victor Vigiani James's new film The Phenomenon you can uh, go to the com, and uh, there are a number of ways you can uh, watch it you can also go to strangeplanet.ca and just click on the film title and it'll take you right to the com. you mentioned Jacques Vallée, who features prominently in the phenomenon and there's a, a passage in the in the documentary about uh, Valet and Dr. J. Allen Hynek from Project Blue Book both testifying at the United Nations in 1978. I don't want to give too much of the film away here, but there's a very important mention here of a letter that Valet discovered, I guess, among Dr. J. Allen Hynek's voluminous papers. A letter he says changed his life. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so Dr. Valet stumbled upon, accidentally, a top-secret letter in Dr. Hynek's files, and I believe it was in the 60s, and he couldn't help himself but to read it. But what it revealed, Project Stork, it was, it was basically a highly-funded effort to investigate the phenomenon using all the instruments and tools strategically in high sighting areas. Uh, to gather data. And it was a highly funded super-secret program that paralleled Project Blue Book, which basically illustrates the fact that Project Blue Book was more, nothing more than sort of a dog and pony show.
1: Right. And and I believe that this discovery was, if I'm not mistaken, after the Condon report had basically said, enough is enough. We're done studying this.
0: You know, I was so lucky. And again, I have to thank Lee Spiegel, who put on the United Nations event for bringing Jock on board But Jacques didn't just, you know, read about this and study these aspects of the phenomenon and, you know, the Condon Report and Project Blue Book and and Dr. Hynek's association in connection with with the Air Force. He actually lived it, you know, and and, uh, so to have him help us put together the pieces of the puzzle in a way that's never been done before was such a boon to our production. I'll give you another example. Jacques reluctantly kind of initially got involved at sort of arm's length, and he was going to just participate in one aspect of production, and that was covering the Rockefeller Initiative, because he was part of it. And when Jock got more involved and started to see some of the cases that I had been spending many, many years investigating, one of which was the landing incident at the New Mexico, one of the most well-documented close encounters of the third kind in U.S. history, with Officer Lonnie Zamora. Jock became more and more intimately involved in the edit room, and you would come out for the weekends and we'd spend these marathon edit sessions with us. But he told me that he was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in April of 1964, and he was trying to tell Hynek, uh, who was investigating scientific advisor to Project Blue Book, the Air Force you know, investigatory arm of UFOs, about cases that were explained away as psychological. And he was telling Heineck, look, you've got to pay more closer attention to these cases. These cases are close encounters. They're happening in France. They're happening here in the United States. And he was really trying to get Heineck to take these more seriously. And literally two days after this meeting at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, Socorro happened. And so he saw Dr. Heineck go to Socorro, meet the witness, see the evidence on the ground, and he saw sort of this, this transformation that happened with Dr. Hynek when it happened back in 1964. I mean, that's that sort of the straw that brought the camel's back. That I think that case, that Hynek really realized that we were truly dealing with something use the pun out of this world
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad you included the socorro new mexico incident there and you did such a wonderful job uh, really putting some meat on them bones because so often i find that case is kind of glossed over but you talked to lonnie's partner and you included some rare footage of when they went to investigate the site and we see the imprint from the craft and so forth you interviewed lonnie's widow So well done on Socorro, New Mexico. Let me just throw it over, Victor. We have time for a a quick question before we break.
2: Yeah, I I want to to take off again once on the Lonnie Zamora case. You did something a little bit kind of different with respect to cataloging that event and then linking it to the Tic Tac video, because the shape of the object that Lonnie Zamora saw was very similar to the actual Tic Tac uh, video craft that the United States Navy pilots saw. So you kind of made those things... A
0: linked entity, didn't you? Victor, that's a great observation. Very few people catch that. And I actually went as far as to look up when tic tacs were invented. And I think it was like a year later (laughs) because I was like, well, if tic tacs were invented earlier than that, then maybe Lonnie would have said it looked like a tic tac (laughs) as opposed to an egg. So, no, it's a very, very interesting observation. And I definitely noticed that
1: as well. I don't know if you're going to believe me, but I have in my notes. Because I have it with the William Coleman citing in one thousand nine hundred and fifty five I have that similar to it as well. I think there 's a photo there which shows the craft sort of on its side as well, and there 's also a photo, I believe it was from the gunship from the f eighteen with the Nimitz group that that showed a craft kind of on its side and i I thought those were similar uh, there 's a lot of sort of similarities we 're seeing when people describing these these craft as being you know metallic and and, um, uh, you know, just kind of shimmering and so forth and, and appearing to be white against the blue sky. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick time out. James Fox stays with us. The Phenomenon is the documentary. Go to thePhenomenonFilm.com uh, to find out how to view it. Uh, and he and Victor and I will be back in one moment. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show.
0: world is being pulled over your eyes. This is
1: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Filmmaker, ufologist James Fox is with us. The Phenomenon is his new documentary. Thephenomenonfilm.com is where you go to view it. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is here. And um, the other similarity I, I found was uh, there was a photo taken in Arizona that you show in the film two weeks after the Kenneth Arnold sighting and that uh, that also is very similar to a photo taken from uh, the, i believe one of the gunship cameras uh from the US Nimitz group and uh in 2004 so um that's kind of eerie the other thing that struck me is as you're you're building this this wonderful sort of history and we you know in the 1940 late 1940s with uh, united airlines pilots and um and and then other sightings you describe it, or they described it in, in the newspaper headlines, as an armada or a fleet of disks. Often there's nine of them flying in formation. And someone makes the point uh, that it seemed almost like a deliberate show of force from these crafts. Talk to me about that.
0: Well, you know, we went to great lengths because, you know, the history of the modern history of UFOs has, has been kind of beaten to death. Um, but we went to great lengths to throw a new light, um, take up never before seen archival footage, newsreel, uh, interviews with well known cases that, uh, that are incredibly rare. Uh, and that, that took quite an effort. We have people to thank, like, uh, David Marler, Marler Archives in, in, in New Mexico, uh, Tom Tullian. Um, my sister Kelly. I mean, we found stuff. We unearthed stuff that the world has never seen before, um, because I, I really felt that it was important to not just show uh, a headline, but if you could show a headline and then hear from the actual witness, uh, that just really strengthens your strengthens your case. And um, you know, give an example. We we obviously feature the infamous Kenneth Arnold 1947 uh, UFO encounter. Um, But we interview his daughter, Kim Arnold. So we get sort of the inside scoop of the impact it had on the family. And she shared with us uh, correspondence between, you know, Kenneth and and the Air Force. uh, Photographs, originals that that she kept, that the family kept since 1947 uh, that we feature in the film. Um, You know, that really cool that happened with uh, United Airlines pilots William Nash and William Fortenberry, 1952, just before the White House and the Capitol building were buzzed in July. Um, really, really compelling eyewitness testimony, very unambiguous encounters that, yeah, that, you know, inescapable conclusion that it was like a show of force. And that, I think we even, we even titled that section of the film as exactly that. Because that's what it looked like. It looked like someone flexing their muscles.
1: His, Kenneth Arnold's daughter also revealed something I didn't know, and that was that, that in the aftermath of uh, Kenneth Arnold's sightings, that generated more press interest than, than uh, the end of the Second World War.
0: Yeah, no, he was very, very famous. He actually ran for lieutenant governor
1: of Idaho. Wow. All right, Victor, take it away.
3: Yeah, I'd I'd like to kind of uh, go back and forth on this because there's just so much in the in the film we could uh, discuss it for the next two hours. But I, I, let's go to, to Harry Reid for a second. And what really impressed me about your interview with Harry, uh, with his, with the former senator, was you 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 got him in that room. He was sitting in a chair. And you were sitting opposite him for, I don't know exactly how long the whole interview took place. But there's a point at which you asked him a question. I'm not exactly sure what exactly the question was, if I can recall it. But th- the question was so really um, well pointed. You, you really drew him out really well. And he was kind of taken aback. So he, st- he waits for a second, picks up a glass of water, takes a sip of water, and looks you in the eye and then answers your question and drops a bombshell uh, on, on your lap and that to me was just so genuine the way you handled the interview uh with a former senator who who knows exactly what's going on and 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 the pressure he was under to bring it forward
0: oh uh, that's that that was one of the more that was one of the bombshell moments of 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 the whole production and there were a handful of those moments believe me but that was probably if not number one it, it's well probably number one i i got to i got to back up for a moment uh that interview came about after months of negotiations. Uh, George Knapp was pulling strings behind the scenes. In fact, there were a couple of people pulling strings behind the scenes, and it was a small window that opened, and we just managed to get that interview. And I was gobsmacked. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. set up the whole scene because he was like, okay, I'm going to have 53 minutes, you know, I'll arrive, we'll sit down, we'll do the interview, then I've got to go. And he showed up, he had a whole entourage, he had security detail. The guy looked like, you know, like I didn't get too close to Senator Reid without looking at him to make sure it was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this guy mm-hmm. was looking at me like, don't even, you know. So I was concerned about pushing the envelope. I was concerned about going beyond his comfort level. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say it was about 35, 40 minutes into the interview. I knew I had about 10 more minutes. He was going pretty far. I was amazed at what he was revealing. And I decided, because I'd heard from people like David Fraber and George Knapp and a handful of others, that what was released on the front page of the New York Times, uh, evidence-wise, was just the tip of the iceberg. And so I decided to kind of breach that topic. And I, I was reminiscing, and I told him about an interview that I'd done, with Gordon Cooper, Mercury astronaut Gordon Cooper, back in the 90s. And Gordon um, had shared with me a couple of uh, instances, but one in particular was about this, uh, this le- alleged landing at Edwards Air Force Base that his film crew had documented on camera of a flying saucer that landed on the dry lake bed in broad daylight uh, circa 1957 at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, he, ha- he, didn't, he wasn't a witness, but he, his, his crew... Brought him the film footage. He had it developed. He held it up to see if it was good footage. It was. Um, And all the while, he was in contact with the higher ups in Washington. Eventually, a courier jet came in to pick it up and he handed the footage over. And I was telling this story uh, to Senator Reed. And just when I got to the point where I said yes, and he told me on camera that he handed the footage over to this, you know, people that came in from Washington. And Senator Reid said, and it was never seen or heard from again. I went, exactly. And then he tried to change the topic. He was like, he was going somewhere else. And I was like, well, hold on. Uh, Senator, are, are you suggesting, are you saying that, you know, there's some evidence that hasn't seen the light of day? And it was like time had stopped. Honestly, wow. I wasn't sure if I'd pushed the limit, if I'd just gone beyond his comfort level. I really didn't know. And what seemed like several minutes, I'm sure it was just a moment, he picked up his water bottle, he took the okay. cap off, and he had a sip, and he put the cap back on, and he said, I'm saying that most of the evidence hasn't seen the light of day. And, uh hmm. wow, that was... A level of confirmation people in the field had suspected for a long time. But to have someone of his level, I mean one of the second most powerful men in in the US, I mean he was Senate Majority Leader, to confirm it was huge. With
1: regards Goodness. to the, Coop, the the Cooper footage, um there's a a piece in the in the documentary, the phenomenon that that where they we sort of f- found out what supposedly happened to that footage. Didn't Cooper speak to uh, or sit in on a cabinet meeting with um, Defense Secretary Cohen at the time? And and uh, yeah, Cohen, really
0: funny, really yeah, funny. Yeah, tell because, us about that. Well, because when I met with with our former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence Christopher Reed, try saying that quickly ten times. Uh, in Washington, D.C., we were sort of, you know, talking while the camera crews were setting up. And lo and behold, you know, I was telling him about my meeting with Gordon Cooper. And he goes, oh, my gosh, really? You met with him? I said, yeah. I, I interview, interviewed him in the 90s, and he was telling me about this footage. He goes, you're kidding me. You got him on camera? I said, yeah, no, I did. He goes, well, he came into the White House, and he told the story to President Clinton when Clinton was kind of going after this stuff. And so I was put in charge of in an official capacity to go after that landing footage. I said, you're kidding me. I said, he goes, no, I was doing it in the 90s. I said, Shoot, right around the same time I was interviewing Gordon Cooper, you were, you know, and uh, he said that eventually he got in, in touch with a high-level uh, Air Force guy who basically said, uh, oh, we had to clean up, you know, we had to make space and, you know, throw all that stuff out. Of course, Chris had to, totally incredulous look on his face, like, yeah, right, you're going to throw away landing footage of a flying saucer every everyone's was face, like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they, did, they were not successful in getting their hands on that. But apparently it's there.
1: It's still there. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what, that's what uh, Senator Reid... Oh, yeah, Senator Reed said, yeah, that stuff's all there. It's there. I mean, look, you said the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the tip of the iceberg. What you've seen is just the tip of the iceberg. So I... We have a call call to action at the end of the movie because, you know,
2: you can't
0: explain away this phenomenon, as swamp gas and weather balloons and misidentified aircraft to an educated population. And that's what I really hope this film will do, because it's going to be much more difficult for them to uh, provide a nonsense explanation or say, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have this stuff, which we will just know that it's not the case.
1: All right, James, we're going to take another time out. Stay put. You too, Victor. We'll be back on the other side with more on the phenomenon. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. <laughs>
0: Where there's smoke, there's the
1: conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back, James Fox stays with us. The Phenomenon is his latest documentary and you can go to the phenomenonfilm.com, the phenomenonfilm.com. And there are a number of ways uh, to view it, but if you go it, go through uh, iTunes uh, or Vimeo, there's uh, some um, bonus material there that you'll you'll get as well. Uh, and uh, of course, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network stays with us. Victor, over to you.
3: Yeah, I wanted to kind of raise uh, kind of uh, there is sort of uh, joined issues here, uh, James. Um, <laughs> Senator Reid brings up, um, like as you as you mentioned earlier, a really visceral reaction to your question about uh, the film and just the the, ov- the overall impact of, of really what's going on with the whole issue. And you know, Robert Salas, uh, we, we should talk about this for sh- sure before the end with the nuclear, uh, you know, uh, implications with UFOs and all of that. I, I guess my my overall question to you would be. You know, when you get people like this coming forward of such gravitas and such, uh, you know, basic knowledge, how and when do you think mainstream scientists are going to take this issue up and bring it forward as a real issue in mainstream science? How far down the road do you think that is, and will it ever even happen?
0: Well, you know, having witnessed what Gary Nolan and Jacques Filet are doing in a lab in Silicon Valley, um, and that they're waiting to make any more concrete uh, announcements or analysis prior to peer review and being published in a, a scientific journal, I think to me it's very exciting because that's exactly what they're they're pushing for is for the you know scientific community to take a closer look at the phenomenon and um, I think it's very exciting what's happening and and also you know i'm seeing I just the other night, I, I, got, uh, I got a call from Scotland, and there was an astronomer and a physicist that wanted to see if it was okay if, if they played the film at, at a school and uh, at a conference, uh, which I thought was rather encouraging, that you, know, you had sort of these mainstream scientists that normally poo-poo stuff on this phenomenon asking if they could use this, this film as an educational tool. To to bring on more more scientists in the field, so that was very encouraging. I, I really think that that we are rapidly approaching a tipping point with this, and I think people like you know Lou Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and Harry Reid, uh, the New York Times, and, and a handful of others have, have made a, a, a huge made a lot of progress and made a huge difference in the last couple of years.
1: Uh, James, you, you you mentioned Valet's work with Nolan in Silicon Valley, and uh, this has to do with uh, exotic materials that Valet has collected over the years, reportedly from UFO crash sites. They're they're analyzing this stuff at the, at an atomic level. Uh, can you share a few a few of their findings?
0: So I'm not a scientist, but uh, yes, um, they are cautious in what they will publicly, but preliminary results indicate material that was engineered, uh, engineered at an atomic level, engineered in a way that would be nearly impossible by what they could tell, um, and that uh, before they make any more concrete Statements. They're going to have the analysis published in a scientific journal and and uh, and get peer review. But it's very very exciting. Let's put it that way.
3: Let's go to the the nuclear issue, James, because if uh, um, if if oh, I ever a get into a com- to tell
0: you about that one <laughs> for
3: sure. Really well, it's fun there. There, really there is fun. so much to it. Um, yeah, you take off on it because I think you're, uh, anyone who watches the, the film will yeah. eventually get to the point where I think you'll probably say this. These things are entering our airspace with impunity and hovering over nuclear installations and doing things, turning things on and off. Uh, nuclear yeah, so weapons. I mean, this this has to be something really, really special in the film.
0: So, so here's how it came about in the film. We covered this fairly extensively. Um, I was probably about... Six years into production, maybe six and a half. And a very good friend, a co editor, this guy Lance Mungia, and uh, he said to me, James, all these reports and these landings and the stuff at, 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 at Holloman, White Sands, and Coro, and Texas, you know, we should get a map and we should put a little pin in these different locations and just kind of take a look at what's going on here. I thought, you know, that's a good idea. So we did. And what I started to see was that the proximity to the Trinity site, which is the first detonation of the atomic bomb back in 1945, to all these sightings. I mean, literally, they were, like, all around the area. And I just, you know, I was just kind of shocked. Like, wow, there's got to be a correlation here. Well, at right around the same time, I managed to get that interview as we were talking about earlier with Senator Harry Reid. And we did the whole interview with 47 minutes into it. And I said, uh, Senator, and I knew he was on a very rigorous schedule. I knew we only had a couple more minutes. And I really wanted to get a shot of him and I walking and talking for B roll that I just might need. So uh, I asked him. I said, "Senator, would you mind before you leave, just get a really quick, you know, shot of us walking and talking?" And uh, he, he knew what you know what I needed to do. He said, "Well, sure, let's do it." I looked over to the, uh, the photographer and I said, "Look, don't worry about. We don't have time to get lighting, and it is what it is. Just get a couple quick shots." So I figured while I was walking with him, I might as well take advantage of my time. And I asked him, "Senator, um, thank God, I asked him this question. I don't know why I didn't ask it when we were sitting down." But I didn't. I said, Senator, what was one of the more astonishing aspects that you guys uncovered uh, as part of the ATIP program, the uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, uh, at the Pentagon for that 10-year period? And he sort of paused and he looked at me and he said, the fact that they're they're interacting with our nuclear weapons. And then he said, he went as far as saying that there were a couple of cases he knew about that if the president of the United States wanted to launch, they couldn't have done it. These things were just not only making incursions over these super-sensitive nuclear weapons facilities, but they were shutting these things off. And I knew right then and there, okay, i got to address this. I, I kind of had an inkling i had heard about it before. I mean, I covered a little bit about this, the Vandenberg Air Force Base case that Jacobs had witnessed back in the 60s. Um, but I, I never really took a real good look at it, so I reached out to Robert Hastings because he's the guy. Mm-hmm.
1: James, uh, T- pardon the interruption. Yeah. Uh, pardon the interruption. We're going to pick this up on the other side. We'll take one final timeout. James Fox, the Phenomenon, thephenomenonfilm.com. Back with more in a moment.
3: Big Brother
0: is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard
1: Sarant. The Phenomenon uh, director James Fox is here for a few moments yet, and uh, and then after the top of the hour, into the second hour, Victor Vigiani uh, will stay with me and we will continue to talk about uh, the film, which we both recently screened, and um, All Things Disclosure. Uh, James, you mentioned the uh, and Victor were talking about the uh, the nuclear uh, sites that were taken offline, pl- places like uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base and Minot Air Force Base, uh, Malmstrom in 1967. Um, as it turns out, on the other side uh, of the Cold War, uh, you had this, you had something similar happening, uh, except in this case, in one case in particular in in Ukraine at an air uh, at a nu- nuclear base they were these UFOs were uh, launching the uh, or that the signal was being triggered so they were turning them off in the United States and seemingly turning them on in Ukraine
0: yeah I'm sorry I was long-winded on the last explanation because I kind of wanted your audience to hear the, the evolution of my thought process on on this topic because I wouldn't have probably highlighted it had it not been for, A, the map during documenting some of these sightings back in the 1560s and, and even flyovers in the 40s, but, but my meeting with, with uh, Senator Harry Reid. And then, of course, um, Robert Hastings, UFOs and nukes, made all of his uh, lifelong investigations decades after decades uh, available to us for the film. So we put together a very poignant eight to ten minute section of testimony uh, of people claiming that uh, firsthand eyewitness accounts of these UFOs not only being seen, picked up on radar, but turning, in most cases, turning the UFOs off, but in some cases, both in the U.S. and in Russia, I think we know about this, thanks to uh, the research that George Knapp has done in the 90, in 1993. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy, because you know Robert Salas, who's a launch control officer, Colonel in the United States Air Force. I'll never forget what he said to me. He was like, "Well, what does it tell you?" To me, it's like taking hands out of the match, uh, taking matches out of the hands of a baby.
1: All right, Victor, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I I, I want to before we leave, uh, James you 've gone through this whole exercise, and you said you know it' just takes six or seven years or whatever the the length what is this the finality of this particular film? Uh, i know you 've done the the others you know I know what i 've seen and, uh, and and out of the blue. what has this particular production taken out of you what What kind of impact has it had on you? both physically and emotionally and spiritually. What, what, what has this exercise done to you? I, I, I know you have some comments on that.
0: I don't want to sound melodramatic, but... Not at all. I, <laughs> felt like I, I honestly felt like I was going to die about seven years into it, maybe six and a half. I was pushed so hard. The, the best way I can describe it, it's like being in the ring with a monster. And you're just trying to survive the next round. And it's it's relentless because you can't punch out the clock and go home. It stays with you 24-7 for nearly eight years. And there were so many hurdles. Just doing a documentary is hard enough. But if mm-hmm. I told your audience the hurdle that I encountered along the way, we'd be here for nine hours.
1: <laughs> Can so you wait, give wait, us wait. a taste yeah. of one of those hurdles?
0: You've got everything from disgruntled partners running out of money, people trying to stop the production for whatever their motivations are, uh, litigation. Uh, I think I mentioned the financial side.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: just getting people to go on camera. I mean, I, look, I could write a book on what it took just to get the, uh, the RUA section of this film, which is only, what, under 10 minutes? Together, that took five years, not just editing, but, you know, negotiations and raising the funds and flying in the witnesses, working with people like Randall Nickerson, working with uh, executive producers, trying to coordinate all the schedules, um, dealing with the John Mack Institute. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, I spent five years getting to know Sikora, New Mexico. I... I got to know Lonnie's family. I got to know his daughter Diane, his wife Mary, his son Michael. I got to know his coworkers, the local police officer. I mean, I was in, in and out of that town for 5 years. In fact, I went I went, even bought a uh, their truck, their family truck, which I have now and back in California. Um, it just took a lot of time. I mean, I spent a week with uh Ray Stanford. He wrote the book uh 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 Flying uh, saucer and Pentagon pantry. Uh, anyway, he wrote the definitive book on the topic of Secord in Mexico. I mean, there's just a story, there's a backstory with every case, and it was just a monumental task uh, to get this film done. And and look, it's my fourth attempt to create a body of evidence that could be presented to mainstream, um, because I feel like this is a topic that. There's enough credible information that every man, woman, and child should have the right to know about. And, and putting that together in a digestible, palatable way is incredibly challenging. And just making a documentary is incredibly challenging, but then trying to make a documentary on a topic, you know, that's been shunned by the scientific community and the mainstream media for 75 years. I mean, you know, it's yeah. incredibly difficult. And so you know I would I would wish I, I wish wouldn't wish what I went through upon my worst enemy. I would not say that like it was I didn't have fun as well, but it was incredibly difficult. incredibly difficult.
3: It's like it's like marriage James, you know, things are tough at the best of times.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my god. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm really glad. I'm really happy. It's one of the first times that I've finished a film and I patted myself on the back and said, I like this one. I'm I'm happy. Wow. This wow this this the manifestation of this is how I envisioned it wanting to be from concept to completion. Do you know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And any plans to get this into the hands of uh elected officials?
0: Oh, that's already going on big time. Oh yeah, there's a lot there's so much going on behind the scenes right now. You guys, it's unbelievable. I mean look, Lou Elizondo publicly endorsed this. He was head of he was director of the program for ATEP at the Pentagon. Um Christopher Mellon. I mean they're using it as an educational tool. Senator Harry Reid, I mean, everybody's endorsing it publicly and they're spreading the word like crazy. Absolutely. This is this is not gonna be a flash in the pan like you know, this is a marathon that we're running right now. This is just as, as Senator Reid said, the tip of the iceberg.
1: And it's this, you know, with disclosure, it's like you've been people have been kicking in the door, kicking in the door, and it seems like it's just. I get the sense hanging by a few splinters. What what are those splinters? What's what's the main obstacle that remains in your mind?
0: I think that from people that I've talked to. Uh, that are in a position to sort of do a lot more. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we put a call to action at the end of the movie. You know, representatives need to hear from their constituents. They need to hear that, hey, the water's okay, we're not going to castigate you for putting your neck out on a topic that's generally not considered worthy of serious investigation. Uh, I think that's changing, and I think that the more... We, the people, reach out to our representatives and say, hey, we want to know more. We know there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. We want to push for transparency. I mean, ultimately, I'd like to see congressional hearings. I think that would, that would certainly do it. Um, Christopher Mellon said that there's supposed to be uh, an evaluation, a report that's supposed to be made public um, about uh, an assessment, really, as to what's going on. That's due at any moment. And I know that Mr. Allen is, is working hard behind the scenes and, and getting that out. So I'm very, very optimistic, more so than I've ever been times a hundred, times a thousand, quite honestly. So um, I think we're, I really believe that we are at a tipping point. I don't see it going backwards. I see us going forwards.
1: James, congratulations on the phenomenon, thephenomenonfilm.com. And um, we appreciate you, you dropping by and spending some time with us. Gentlemen,
0: it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
1: All right. Victor and I will uh, we'll be back in mere moments here on The Conspiracy Show to talk more about UFO disclosure and the phenomenon. Stay with us. <laughs>